Welcome to the SA for FA's Asset Allocator Podcast, a series that addresses issues of current interest to financial advisors, including ETFs, asset allocation, and the economy. I am your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and today's topic concerns the applicability of behavioral finance in financial advisory practices. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, this word on behalf of our sponsor, Invesco. How do financial advisors incorporate behavioral finance into their practices? That is the simple question posed by a recent study commissioned by Charles Schwab and conducted by Cerulli Associates, who surveyed over 300 financial advisors. Unfortunately, the answer is not as clear as the question was. As I see it, asset management firms are always looking for ways to appear relevant, particularly as regards financial advisors who use their products and services in volume. Charles Schwab, for example, offers a battery of tools, articles, and podcasts aimed specifically at accessing the supposed wisdom of behavioral finance. The only problem is it's hard to wrap one's arms around behavioral finance. And to me, that was the most significant, if perhaps unintended, finding of the Cerulli study. Specifically, While 70% of financial advisors report being enthusiastic about behavioral finance, or BFI as it is sometimes called, 65% of respondents said they have difficulty translating BFI theory into practical application. Financial advisor befuddlement about BFI says a lot. What it mainly says is that it's a floofy field. Sure, the mind is a fascinating organ, as are the vagaries of human behavior. Some people miss out on opportunities because of a profound loss aversion. Others anchor their decisions on a specific reference point, and still others assume that current trends will persist indefinitely. The problem is, they're not all the same person. People are different. Nor are there instruments like doctors' thermometers, stethoscopes, and EKGs that can diagnose these things scientifically. The ersatz questionnaires that brokerage firms and asset managers provide to advisors sometimes do more harm than good because clients' answers are not always indicative of their genuine behavior. Nor is it practical for advisors to utilize B5-based checklists in assessing their clients. Apparently, 54% of advisors surveyed by Cerulli say they lack the software or tools needed to put B5 theory into practice. Well, I'm glad a majority of advisors admit to lacking these tools because this is not something we can have a computer do for us. I think this goes to the heart of the problem, which is the financial services industry's desire to shove tools into advisors' hands to help them create engaged, satisfied, and repeat customers with whatever will stick. But while the field provides interesting research opportunities for academics, it's something of a nothing burger for most clients. Every profession has its unique resources. Physicians seek to heal, attorneys to protect legal interests. They don't waste their clients' times with underlying psychological issues that may apply to other patients or clients. They get right to the point. Take two aspirin and call me tomorrow if you still need me. Or here's your eviction notice. A financial advisor's discipline, in a word, is discipline. This comes in a vast array of forms, and the discipline provided will depend entirely on each individual client. Some clients manage their household finances poorly and need to save more. Others want to head for the exits along with the herd and need encouragement to buy when everyone is selling. Many clients are eager for prestige and are ready to invest in something that enhances their social standing, if not their financial standing. 
There are a thousand and one reasons investors make mistakes, and an experienced advisor has seen it all and can more readily draw from the wellsprings of his or her own experience than from the tools, white papers, and pedigreed pedantry of academic consultants to asset managers. At the end of the Cerulli study advising advisors on how to implement BFI in their practices, the firm concludes with five practical suggestions. Three of them are of dubious value. To invest in client education, to proactively communicate with clients about biases, and to be mindful about their own, that is the advisor's biases. I don't think your clients come to you for a pop psychology sermon. Two of the suggestions are highly sensible to construct goals-based portfolios, and to create systematic processes that take the emotion out of investing, like automatic rebalancing of portfolios. But did you need avant-garde behavioral finance researchers to tell you that? BFI is not bad. I esteem the contributions of Berkeley professor Shahar Kariv because his work is very practical and down-to-earth. But the field as a whole still has a very long way to go before advisors should consume their valuable time with all the toolkits and white papers that relevant-seeking firms are proffering. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please consider passing it on to one other advisor. Also, feel free to contact me at gill at seekingalpha.com if you have feedback or requests. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinrich, and our podcast was sponsored by Invesco.